So my friend who saw this old man in a refugee camp, she went over and sat next to him. She said, what's your story, old man? And he was just there with an empty bowl praying. So he told her how he was in his 80s and he'd seen his wife and kids hacked to death the previous week. And he'd walked six days to get that refugee camp. And he'd, his house had been burned down. He had lost everything in the world. And again, this horrific story of woe, he turned to her and said, Madame Missionnaire, I never realized that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. Mm. I never realized that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. To me, that's about the most powerful thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And I come back from Burundi and I land here and I come up with a bunch of people. We've got everything to live with and nothing to live for. Welcome to What's the Story? My name is Matt Edmondson and this is a podcast full of stories about courage and faith from everyday people. And today I am chatting with Simon Gillibel about their Christian journey, about his challenges that he's faced in life and some of the lessons he's learned along the way. But before we get into it, uh, Simon, one of the things I love to do is give a shout out to past guests and episodes. And it, it makes sense today to mention an episode we recorded recently called High Highs and Deep Seas with Malcolm Trish Morgan. Big shout out to the Morgans because they uh, were the ones that connected me with your good self. So uh, thanks, Malcolm Trish. Uh, you can find that episode and our entire archive of episodes uh, on our website for free at www.crowd.church. And whilst you're there, make sure you sign up to our newsletter as each week we will email you the links and notes from the conversations uh, direct to your inbox totally free, which is amazing, as they say. Now, this episode is brought to you by Crowd Online Church. Uh, not everyone wants to go to church. Not everyone can even get to a church building. And this is where online church works super well, as it is a safe space to explore the Christian faith. And the thing that I love about Crowd is that you get to join in and shape the conversation. So if you've never been to church before, or if you're looking for a new church, do check out Crowd Church. The website is www.crowd.com church there we go i'll put it up on the screen for those of you watching the video uh, you can also email me directly matt at crowd.church with any questions that you have now today's guest simon is an author a speaker a social entrepreneur a family man and a cyclist and that's important he's also the founder uh, of uh, a charity he's now married with three children uh, his wife is called lizzie and they've both been awarded an mbe for their services to burundi Simon is the author of the best-selling Choose Life, 365 Readings for Radical Discipleship. He is also the author of More Than Conquerors, Sacrifice and Dangerously Alive, which has got to be one of the coolest book titles ever. Uh, he's also got 25,000 social media followers uh, who read his challenging, frequently shocking, sometimes amusing, uh, but always authentic tweets and blog posts. So uh, having having Havingly, I'm just making words up now, having unexpectedly survived seven years of genocide and civil war, he set up a charity called Great Lakes Outreach uh, with the vision to transform Burundi, now helping well over 100,000 of the very neediest people every year in strategic and sustainable ways. Mate, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Simon, great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, man. How are we doing today? Yeah, good. I'm looking forward to our time together. 
Yeah, it's going to be great. Now, it goes without saying, actually, it's probably worth saying uh, right here at the start, you actually have your own podcast as well, don't you? Doing a similar thing, which is great. So let's just do a quick plug for that while we're here. Um, just tell the folks about the about the podcast. Great. Well, um, it's called Inspired with Simon Gilbo, or Inspired with whichever guests. And basically, my concept was through lockdown and since we're just bombarded by negative news and mm. we all end up feeling depressed and battling mental health issues. So every week, it's a blast of uh, glory stories of, of the nitty gritty of people. You know, we, we the second book, More Than Conquerors, we are more than conquerors, mm. but that the other side, that's verse 37 of Romans 8. The other side, that's after verse 35, which says, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Yeah. Not fluffy Christianity, it's nitty gritty from mates from all sorts of different walks of life. Mm. And it's obviously hitting the spot because uh, we've got people in over 100 countries, uh, you know, tracking with us. And mm. uh, it's a boost to, to people's faith to believe that, yeah, God is still on his throne and enough of the fear, let's choose faith over fear and gratitude over grumbling, all those different choices that we need to make every day. Great stuff. So inspired with Simon Gilbo and that's on Spotify, iTunes, whatever. Yeah, I've, um, I'm a listener. I'm an avid listener, actually. I listen to the... Uh the iTunes version, because I'm a bit of an Apple man. So uh, do check out Simon's podcast. It is a, honestly, it's a great podcast. Very inspiring. I like the stories. I love the stories, actually, some of the stories that come out of it. Um, so tell me about Great Lakes Outreach, because there's a... Is, it, I know your story a little bit, so it's not just like one day you woke up and said, oh, I'm just going to set up this charity called Great Lakes Outreach. There's a bit of a story behind that. So we're going to dig into that, but just... So we know where we're heading. Just tell us a little bit about what the charity does. Okay, well, Burundi is the hungriest, the poorest country in the world right now. And I went out there in 1998-9. And uh, at the time, it was the most dangerous country in the world. So we've improved on one indice, so we're not the most dangerous. <laughs> okay. But it's basically, it's like Rwanda. It used to be one country with Rwanda, so it's a post-genocidal area, although I experienced seven years of that war. It was a 13-year war in Burundi. Um, so desperate needs on, on, on every level, be it spiritual, humanitarian. And what we, what we are now, <clears throat> all these years on, is a dream team of um, of the best local Burundian leaders. We identify, empower, and equip the best local leaders of passion, integrity, gifting, and vision for the transformation of the nation, bottom up and top down. Mm. So involved in, uh, in education, in street kids, in AIDS, in getting prostitutes back uh, on their feet with a more, more sort of, uh, well, a healthier profession, if you like. Uh, agriculture, microfinance, uh, I mean, the list goes on. So using sport as a vehicle for uh, societal transformation, welcoming about returning refugees, uh, Bible training, evangelism, discipleship, reaching unreached people group. I mean, the list goes on. I haven't covered everything. So it's multifaceted. And the beauty of it is that some of God's best troops are in Burundi. And if you've still got faith when you've had a hell of a time, like your wife being raped and people killed, you know, family around you, you still believe in God and you still have, a, you know, cling to that reality, then there. Yeah depth of faith of these guys is absolutely phenomenal and so we're just getting mm. them to change the nation by themselves and it's beautiful it's very contested it's cliche but it's in the darkest places that the light shines brightest so mm -hmm. it's the part of the world that's known the most bloodshed literally that central african uh, region congo rwanda burundi uh, but gorgeous brothers and sisters doing amazing stuff and i get the privilege just to get alongside them and and, and help them change their nation it's, it's fantastic it sounds um uh, I mean, in some respects, it sounds amazing. But on the other hand, it's like the fact that we that you have to do that 
uh, is quite it's quite sad in a lot of ways, but it's it's quite it's lovely to hear the story of the transformation. So what I want to do, Simon, is I mean this is sort of where we're going to head up. You obviously got a deep passion for this charity. I'm really curious how this journey for you started, right? So if we we sort of rewind the clock a little bit and and backtrack. When you, you said that you went to Burundi for, you were in Burundi, what did you say, seven years in the late 90s, something like that. Did you, uh, can I ask how old were you when you ventured over to the, uh, to the country? Yeah, I was 20, <laughs> 25. And 25. Ba- and basically I'd been on, uh, many listeners would be, or viewers would be on a sort of career progression track at that age. And I'd, I'd had a very privileged upbringing. Uh, and that, so I was in the city in London and the financial city center there. And this guy tracked me down. I'd never met him before. I had been praying, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Mm. So I gave my kids when I was about 15, sort of wrestled through school with, you know, smoking weed and, 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 and getting hammered and treating girls rather badly, but whilst kind of following Jesus, but clearly not very effectively, not very <laughs> consistently. Um, and then got a good degree. I'm a sportsman. So I went to Loughborough university, uh, loved it there, had a passion for Jesus. So thought that I would end up doing something pretty uh, crazy. And I was praying, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. So that was the backstory. So I'm in a good job. I'm saying, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. And this guy trapped me down in the city in London and said, I believe God sent me to you. He wants you to go to Burundi and be involved in youth and outreach. And my heart sort of stirring my chest saying, God, is this some nut job or is this, is this you? Yeah. Through. And uh, so I said, all right, thanks, weirdo. I'll think about it. I'll <laughs> I'll pray about it. And I went back to my job and I was in front of the computer and I said, God, right now, if that wasn't some nut job, if that was you, then give me, give me a radical sign right now in front of the computer, because that'll mean leaving family, friends, security, career, everything going to a place where I get killed and people have tried to kill me. So give me a radical sign right now. And I, I, I don't know, I can't remember, it was 25 years ago, how, how long I waited. It wasn't long, but mm. I took a phone call and the voice on the other end, out the blue, said, do you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi? And I was like, wow. So, so I lost the plot in the office. People thought I was more weird than usual. And within a few months, <laughs> I my bags and I'd gone. And, you know, literally wow. my life swung on that phone call. I said, give me a sign about Burundi. Do you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi? Boom. And hundreds of thousands of lives have been radically transformed because of that phone call. It's amazing to consider. And I'm not saying that to my glory because I know the fickleness of my mm. own heart. I do know that God is amazing. And if you find that sweet spot of uh, the alignment of your passion, what you're passionate about, uh, what you're good at, because you might be passionate about leading a band, but have a terrible voice. That, that's not an alignment of passion, <laughs> gifting, but passion, gifting, and then opportunity. And if you say, Lord, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere, then you're giving him permission just to do anything with your life. And, you know, then you're off on the adventure of living. And I love mm. Jesus, John 10, 10, where he says, I've come to have life and life to the full, life in abundance. It's not a soft sell. It's not an easy life. But I am living life to the full by his grace. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I'd long for everyone to experience that as well. Oh, geez. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, and we'll get into that. I'm curious, though, Simon, who was on the phone? So that was a mate who'd heard uh, actually through a Christian organization called Tear Fund that they were looking for people for Burundi. So he, he'd rung me up in that context. And, and it, funny enough, I, I rang that lady who was, who was recruiting and I said, oh, this just happened. And we quickly established that it wasn't for me. But I, I just Lord said, Lord, give me a call about Burundi. And I was in a marketing job that had nothing to do with Africa. And it was for full mm. disclosure. Uh, this is important to say. I had been to Burundi before that. I drove a truck from England to Kenya two years before that. My great grandfather was buried out there. So, 
funny enough, I'd actually been saying anywhere but Burundi to God. Like, what? No, <laughs> like, I want to do something new. I, I thought the Lord mm. might call me to Cambodia. I was looking at youth work. So, so that's just so that people know that it wasn't completely out of nowhere. But it, but it was out of nowhere in 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 the sense that I had said, Lord, you know, I, I want to tread my own furrow. I don't, I don't want to be, um, you know, known as the great grandson of or whatever. Mm. And in that context, I got that beautiful dramatic call. And uh, yeah, it's been a rocky road since, but who wants an easy road? I don't think anyone who takes an easy road has an interesting life. It's just that's dull. That's very true. <laughs> and, uh, I think that's very, very true. Loads of people, their highest aspiration seems to be to arrive safely at death. And that is not a very compelling vision. And certainly it's not the vision of the, the life of faith that Jesus calls mm. us to. For example, John 16, verse 20, 33 says, in this world, you will have trouble. That's a reality, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Mm. And so, again, we are more than conquerors. I say that again. Uh, you know, we're overcomers, but life is, you know, I, even the last few weeks I've had, as I was telling you before, I have some major sucker punches going on in my personal life, family life. But, but you know, you just got to stand firm. Our life mm. is built on the rock. And so when, when challenges come, yes, we'll be shaken, but we will not give up. Mm. That's so powerful. So powerful. So you you went to burundi before you did this you drove a truck from england to kenya as you do uh you know because why why would you not um and you mentioned your great grandfather was it your great grandfather's buried out there so do do you have um was your great grandfather out there because of work or because of missionary uh work do you have this sort of heritage of missionaries or was it just happenstance yeah, and no, I've got a wonderful heritage. So my great-grandfather went out as an old Anglican, you know, to kick, plant, get the church going in Central Africa. He died. I mean, he was like a, a big theologian in his own right, and he died when he was 53. If he had lived another 30 years, he would have been a John Stott-type character or, or John Piper mm. because he, he was already writing the bestsellers of the day. Um, but he died. He'd started translating two books of the Bible. His daughter carried on translating the rest of the Bible. His son, my grandfather, translated the Bible into Kinyarwanda to the north. The other daughter uh, translated into Bari and Sudan. So they were, you know, massive brains. And my grandfather was the top dog at Cambridge in maths. There's a, an award each year called the Senior Wrangler, best, best mathematician of his, of his intake, his generation at Cambridge University. And his professors, when he said he was gonna go off to Central Africa to tell people about Jesus, they're like, oh no, what a wow. waste. What a waste of his brain. But he and he literally impacted millions of lives because he put the mm. word of God in their own language, and he had a he had a wonderful experience, you know. Through well, I mean, grim as well because they experienced genocide and losing, you know, hundreds of their friends mm. uh, to, to that genocide. But um, he's also saw, yeah, I mean, numbers just massive numbers of people life transformed. So yeah, life to the full again. He lived it. He modelled it. I'm grateful mm. for it. So you have this amazing heritage then uh, in Africa with your your family you're you're saying god anywhere but africa uh, and you get this phone call um and and sort of life changes where were you at in turn you're you're in your early 20s and you you sort of said when you started out at 15 you became a christian you kind of had a rocky start um it's almost like you were trying to live two lives at the same time you know we've uh, we've talked about this on on the podcast before where you where i i i use the quote from mr miyagi simon you know where he talks about uh, walk on left side safe, walk on right side safe, walk in the middle, squish, just like grape, which is, it's a really interesting phrase, isn't it? And I, and this idea of trying to live the, the best of both worlds together. Um, so where were you in your faith at 
the time of this phone call? Oh yeah, no, I was, I was, I was all in. I was, uh, I was knowing, I had started giving talks around schools and universities and just seeing that that was a gift and mm -hmm. that people responding, people's lives were being changed. So I wanted to experience a normal job, like um, the pressures and the responsibilities of a normal job uh, as a follower of Jesus to see what that was like, because I think that's good, that's healthy life experience if you're then going to be speaking mainly to people who are <clears throat> not full-time, well, that's the wrong word, yeah. ministry terms. So, so um, I knew that I was, and that I'm wired, you know, I'm wired for risk and adventure and uh, crazy stuff. So um, it was just a question of how long that sort of apprenticeship was going to be, if you like. Yeah, no, fair enough. And so, so uh, you you set off for, for Burundi uh, in the late nineties. What then happened? Um, first few weeks in Burundi. Is it? Uh, do you know what you're doing when you're over there? Do you have a plan, or do you just turn up? Well, it's funny because actually I went out to Rwanda first of all. My granny had. The old battle axe still going strong. Grandpa died. She, age 83, says, I'm going back out to Rwanda because in, in England, you're just going to stick me in an old age home. Whereas in, uh, in Rwanda, I'm a little more kitchen or a wise old dame. So she went out. <laughs> Fantastic. She was a widow to work with widows, 15,000 widows in her diocese. She did an amazing life work. So I got the chance to go. Funny enough, when I, when I, when I got that phone call from God, if you like, I, I rang her up and said, Granny, in Central Africa, dodgy line, Granny, I feel like God's calling me to come out and join you. Could you, could you teach me the language? And she was like, oh, I'm so excited. If I could, I'd be dancing on the table. <laughs> and uh, so I flew out. And Rwanda and Burundi was like that, Rwanda and Burundi mm -hmm. uh, until 1962. So... She taught me Kinyarwanda. I now speak Kirundi. Amen. So that's what it sounds like. And uh, so for four months, so what happened was that a week, I had the farewell party. Uh, I celebrated with my mates after that crazy phone call. And so I said goodbye. And then just for a few days before getting on the flight to go out, to doing, leaving everything, uh, that bloke who'd recruited me as a preacher evangelist, youth worker type for Central Africa, he rang up and said, Simon, sorry, they didn't want, uh, they didn't, they didn't, I, we misunderstood. They wanted a secretary for the bishop, not your role. And I'm like, what? No. You know, God, what's happening? You know, that's not what I bought into. But it was too late because I'd had the farewell party, so I had to go. So I went out. <laughs> for those four months this is 1998 i don't know what you're doing 1998 but it was those four months um september to december and for those four months i'm praying god please when i get down to Burundi, please i don't want to be secretary for the bishop i want to work with the youth of the nation nationwide across denominations churches that was my vision youth being the present and the future of a nation yeah so i'm praying that this is 1998 that's the first time i ever got on email you know email i got through the whole university without ever touching a computer it's amazing to think isn't it um and so I emailed about 50 buddies in England saying, please pray that I can work for Scripture Union. That's how I got converted, how I came to Jesus. So that's the ministry I wanted to join. I told me Secretary of the Bishop, please pray with me on that one. So that's them praying in England, me praying in Rwanda, mm -hmm. and down in Burundi at Scripture Union, they're praying, God, please send him to us, this Mzungu, this white guy. So you got those prayers going, track with me on this one, because it is an amazing answer to prayer. Uh, so got those prayers going from three different countries for several months. On the second last night in Rwanda, Granny prayed me. I said, God, I've had, we've had enough of Simon now. He surrendered to you. You just make it clear what you want to do with his life. So I said, see you, Granny. I left the north of Rwanda, Byumba. I came down to Kigali, the capital city, just to go to meet and greet my boss who flew down from London in, that, in one guest house, just as the head of scripture in Burundi stopped off on a three-day drive to four countries further away. And it was essentially three men from three different countries in transit to two different countries, praying the same agenda, meeting in one guest house in the capital city for 10 minutes. 
So again, <laughs> was that a coincidence? Guys, guys, seriously, I mean, mm. either I'm lying mm. to you, and I could be, I could be lying about the phone call, but what I want to challenge people each time I share those stories is, you know, either it's a lie or it's a coincidence or it's a, it's not a coincidence, it's a God incident. Mm. And I love that scripture in the Old Testament, it's Second Chronicles 16, verse 9, which says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, mm. longing to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed mm. to him. Mm. So even as you're listening, even as you're watching right now, uh, you know, it's like the eyes of the Lord, he, his desire is to strengthen you. So he's like, who's up for it? Who's up for it? And back mm. in 1998, he was like, ah, Simon Gilbo. And he's got his issues, but I'm going to use him to change the world. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed mm. to him. And that could be you. That could be you as you listen to us right now. You can say, boom, I'm in. I'm mm. nothing mm. messing around or settling for a domesticated Jesus. No, I'm all in. Fantastic. Fantastic. And so, you, and so here you were in this, <laughs> in this pinnacle of an event. Uh, I, and I love the way you, you talk about three guys traveling to all different locations and together in 10 minutes. And so I, I take it you didn't become the bishop's secretary. No, I didn't. The next day we drove down the most dangerous road in the world, one in which I you know, repeatedly went and the following years, it, they were the most dangerous roads in the world. One time 40 people got killed and I got through. But that first day I came down, the RN1, it's called, and I arrived in Bajumra. I was like, Lord, bring it on. I've had just about all my money stolen. Uh, first day mugged by street kids. And uh, it's like, either you are real, and you. And one of my favorite promises of Scripture is 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will mm. do it. But that first day, it was like my, my boss had to go and sit and discuss with the bishop, and I'm just wandering around praying, and, uh, and I find an internet cafe, and I sent out my first email of what's probably 190,000 emails over those 24 years. And the first email I ever sent in Bruni was, guys, I had this crazy meeting yesterday. Keep praying. Think God's going to do it. And I need a computer. And I sent that message saying, I need a computer. And that morning, a mate of mine in London woke up and prayed, God, I've got this computer. Who do you want me to give it to? Mm. And he switched on his computer ah, and got this message from Central <laughs> Africa. So again, God. God gives Ray finds empty hands. And our challenge yeah. often is our hands are stuffed full and we're consumed with materialism in a materialistic society. And we want maybe a bit of God, but he says, no, get rid of stuff and you have come to me empty handed and dependent in that place you can really meet with me. And you can, guys, lots of people who follow Jesus, you know, can manipulate uh, a religion for their own purposes. And sometimes we take promises out, out of the Bible to sort of try, try to yeah. justify what we've already decided. I'm not saying do that, but there are loads of promises to claim. And one of them, if you, for example, if you're going to, through a difficult financial time right now, as I was, I was absolutely up the creek without a paddle if God wasn't real in that situation. I had a few yeah. hundred quid left in the world. But my God, this is Philippians 4 verse 19, my God will meet all your wants no not all your wants all your needs mm. according to his glorious riches in christ he owns the cattle on a thousand hills the bible says so if you trust him uh, he promises to provide he says i'll never leave you i'll never forsake you and uh, you know in the most extreme environment on the planet mm. i live that out and i've experienced it i've tasted and seen that the lord is good it's worth everything oh that's fantastic that's fantastic so here you are then uh broke <laughs> in a new country uh trusting in god and you were there did you say seven years so what happened during the time you were there what sort of things did you get involved with yeah no i was there 20 years um but i was there seven years of war all oh, right so war came to an end so 13 year war i caught the back seven years of it 
Yeah, I mean, it was amazing because one of the things you've got to do is you start where you are with what you've got, how you can. So I, I started by, I had nothing, so I went up the hill and I borrowed an American chap's a bicycle. And I'm the only white guy in the country, sweaty Ming on the equator, sort of cycling to work. It's so hot. But, you know, and then after a few months, someone sent through some money, bought a motorbike. And then, you know, things have gone from there to the extent mm. that 25 years later, I look back and think, wow. You know, and I would say in general, in terms of whatever we do, don't overestimate what you can do in one year, but don't underestimate what you can do in 10. Mm. And I look back on the work now and it's actually 25 years, not 10, but we can get caught up in the day to day and think we're not achieving much. We'll get easily mm. discouraged. But I look back and think that we built five schools, we built two orphanages, we built a, you know, a $6 million conference center. That's the, if you go on TripAdvisor hotels for Burundi, we're number one. It's the King's conference center. It's an income generator provides about 40 people with livelihood. We've got dozens, maybe not quite a hundred, probably into 150, maybe prostitutes that we've lifted out of prostitution. We've got wow. uh, people that uh, we've, the unreached people group that we've introduced to Jesus. We've provided clean water. Those guys had a life expectancy of 27 before we engage with them. We're doing microfinance. We're helping people start up businesses for as little as seven pounds. This one girl was going to go into prostitution for seven quid. It enabled her to buy hair products that differentiated her from the next person. She got increased margins. Now she's bought her own pig and the whole community honors her as having not chosen the route of prostitution. I love that seven quid for a changed life. Yeah. Um, building we built a medical clinic so we've done agriculture i mean it's so much but essentially it started just very very small it started coming alongside people uh it's not the white man's religion it's i mean mm. a lot of people have a different western view on what i'm even saying but it's not so it's you know it's me just coming alongside people saying this is your nation we want to get behind you want to empower you what well, what there is from the west is resources some specific skill sets but you've got way more passion way more gifting it's your mm. country your proverbs your languages all that sort of stuff i mean i'm very proud that we did become burundian so uh you know most burundians are trying to become canadian or belgian those are the two places of choice it's a belgian colony in canada they can speak french in, in toronto the toronto area montreal montreal rather um but we became burundian so they love it that we identify mm. with them uh we were you know when other people fled when it kicked off again actually we had 10 years of peace then 2015 kicked off again we said we are not leaving we are here we choose faith over here with over fear with burning barricades and shooting and i'm now with a wife and three kids, I went out as a single young man, felt completely expendable, expected to die, uh, didn't die, and then proposed to my wife, are you ready to be a young widow? You know, it's a slightly different journey mm. from people, but uh, it has been beautiful. So, uh, did you meet your wife over in Burundi? No, I would come back regularly to speak. And actually, after three years, the first three years were the most nuts years. Mm. Um, in fact, every other sort of NGO type worker, um, people working with embassies, they had to leave the country every six weeks. It was so intense for what's called R&R, rest and recuperation. I mm. didn't have that luxury. So I'm sort of, uh, they were nuts days, you know, I'd, literally, I'd, I'd, we'd be you know, driving on the road and my colleague looks across with a glint in his eye and says, isn't it exciting, Simon? We're immortal until God calls us home, you know. We would Paul wrote in the Bible, Philippians one twenty one, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He mm. said, you know, it's a win-win. If you're all in, it's a win-win. For me to live, it's a win. Christ, mm. to die, it's gain. He says, actually, desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but convinced there's more work for, for me to do. I'll be around a bit longer. Mm. So it was incredibly freeing, but it wasn't sustainable. And after three years, my guys in England said, look, dude, you're going to wipe out. You're going you're to burn out. So come back for a year. And it was during that year back in England, I, I studied at a, a great place called All Nations, just up the uh, London oh, yeah. And uh, it was it was in the summer term that uh, 
this this uh, foxy lady sort of came. I was doing a washing up at a community event, and she came to check me out over the washing up. And uh, <laughs> the rest is history. Who knew that would work, right? Who knew? Yeah, who knew that would work? Washing up. Apparently, it does. Uh, so yeah. So you you meet your wife at All Nations, which is a great place. Uh, some good friends there over the years, and um, and. And you propose to uh, your wife by saying, "Do you, you you're going to be a young widow, right? How did she take that? Oh, are you willing to be a young widow? How did she take that? Was she like, oh, I'll just come with you? Was that? Well, it was actually, uh, it was out in Rwanda, so the country to the north. It was on Lake Kivu, so it was New Year's Day. Uh, we'd arrived at this place for a holiday with a bunch of other friends. And uh, I'd, as soon as we arrived, I'd gone to bed delirious with malaria, so... I just crawled out of bed on New Year's Day and having, having said to her, are you ready to be a young widow? So that was it. Well, it, I, she just um, needed to count the cost and, and, and mm. she did. I, I needed to see her out there in, in Africa to see if she could handle it. She had actually worked previously in Nepal, which also had Maoist incursions. So she'd heard, heard gunfire. She'd experienced that sort of stuff. Uh, and then so she bought into it fully. And, you know, preempting one question you might ask is what's it look like to to do life or to risk your children. Because it's one thing for your wife to buy into it. Mm. But your kids come along and they're so precious and vulnerable. And all I can say on that one is that, you know, we are called to live by faith and not fear. Mm -hmm. And the best thing I can give my children is an authentic demonstration of a life that's consistent with what we profess to believe. And I think a lot of people profess but don't live out. Yeah. And you can, you can have a faith but not live by faith. Mm. And living by faith at its core means you have to take risks. You have to step out of your comfort zones because if you're in your comfort zone, you don't need faith. You're getting on perfectly fine. You've got all your ducks in a row. And so that was really tested in 2015 because the war sort of kicked off again, or war, certainly civil unrest. There's burning barricades and there's gunfire. And I'm like, is this going to cost me, my wife? Mm. Is she going to get raped or the kids going to get killed, traumatized? Uh, but we are not leaving. And, and amongst the missionary community, we'd probably be you know, considered senior people in terms of longevity and experience yeah. influence so i was like well we're not leaving if we leave everyone's going to leave but we choose faith over fear so what does that mm. look like and it looks like staying and then what happened was that thousands of people praying for us i mean it was properly dangerous yeah um, thousands of people praying for us and then my son five-year-old son josiah swallowed some popcorn into his lung and he was <laughs> breathing like oh, this wow. <laughs> and uh, we took him to the only remaining U.S. pediatrician in the country. A lot of people had already fled. And uh, and he said, you need to get him on the next flight out of here. He needs emergency bronchoscopy. So Lizzie took the kids out, but it wasn't fear. It was actually God's, yeah. to me, God's orchestration of getting them out of the country. I was able to stay. Lots of crazy stuff happened in the next few weeks. Anyway, he went back to England. Again, thousands of people praying. On the day of his operation, <laughs> he coughed. And out came this kernel of popcorn from his lung. Doctors have told me that's impossible. That was 10 days later. Uh, and uh, it was just like, God, thank you, Lord, for your provision. Mm, mm. And then a few months later, we're going back to Burundi or, you know, or, or not. And I, I had come and gone. And um, I, I said to my key faithful guys, not your average Joes, he's like faith firebrands. I said, shall I bring the family back? And basically all bar one said, don't you dare bring them back. It's too dangerous. Mm. And I came back, I flew back to England and said to Lizzie, look, look shall, shall we, let's just ask the Lord, you know, again, faith over fear, fear. What does that look like? And then we set a week aside to pray and fast. And the first day, 163 people were killed in the capital. It's the worst, darkest hour of one day, but dead bodies in the streets. And that's the day we're praying for peace to return. So in the natural, it didn't make sense going back, but it was the last day of our praying, seeking the Lord. And both my wife and I had a piece about returning. Mm. 
And I just said, Lord, I'm just going to go for a last walk on Southampton Common. That's where we based at the time. And uh, Lord, this is the heaviest decision I've ever had to make as a father and as a husband. Yeah. You know, if we go, if we go back and they get killed or raped or whatever, no one will forgive me. Yeah. And I'll have to live that with. I have to live with that for the rest of my life. So please, it would just be it'd be great if you just give me a, a sign to confirm that we got it right. Give me that mm. piece of that spirit. So that was my prayer. I went off for that walk. I was walking along a path. Another guy was walking along the path. And our paths crossed at the exact same moment. And we we walked together. And that man had been a, a missionary in Pakistan. He'd had death threats. He'd had child kidnap issues. He'd had everything that I was sort of considering uh, what going through. Mm. And he spoke faith into me. And I'm like, Lord, within a 500-mile radius, you could not have handpicked one person. Yeah that precise life experience to be at there at that exact same moment to speak mm -hmm. faith in. And God is good. And you know mm. what? Again, we returned. We returned as a family against almost everyone's better judgment. But it was the Lord's will. And it mm. was so important to be there because following Jesus is about being there in the, in the muck, in the filth, in the mess, mm. in the in fear and incarnating. You know, incarnation just means, you know, flesh on Jesus was incarnation. He was God made flesh. And we need to incarnate what we believe and be there with people in their suffering. So it was so important we went back. And all the more credibility comes, right? Because, hey, yeah. you're here. You believe it. Other people have jumped on the plane, scarpered. Most, uh, half, uh, half a million of our countrymen have scarpered. And I don't, by the way, I don't even blame them for scarpering, but mm. because everyone's got their own call to make on that level. But, you know, we just marched the beat of a different drum. And I'd wish that fearless faith and, and deep trust in God again on everyone because then no matter what you know financial issues we're being assaulted with right now the sort of doomsday scenarios of you know, climate stuff it's just also depressing and mm. you know, increasing bills it's, it's just like Aah! but actually God is still on his throne yeah, and we are going to get through and you've got a call on your life and he wants to use you in the nitty-gritty to come alongside people and embody hope and there is always hope mm. and, yeah and sorry preaching at you no, no, it's all good stuff, Simon. And, and uh, I, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I, I'm I'm loving the stories, and um, and it all sounds very exciting. But it all sounds, I mean, and there were great times of danger for you, weren't there? You mentioned um, people tried to take your life. Uh, this was not, this was not a straightforward. Uh, you know, I, I've made this decision. Everything's now okay, kind of thing. Like you say, there was, you know, the the Romans eight thirty five uh, effect, as it were. Um. I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm sitting here thinking there's going to be people listening to the podcast, right, who work a nine to five job in a very safe suburban life, who who are necessarily called to war torn Burundi. How does how does that that life of faith, that message of faith, real genuine faith, not the you know, the everything's going to be all right and name it and claim that new car kind of faith but that how does faith work you would have seen this right for somebody living in suburbia nine to five well i have done the nine to five and on one level i'm back in x i'm talking to you from bath right now in the southwest and and i i'm in I'm at my desk in my bedroom and i work from home i run the charity from here involved in africa i do travel a lot to you know around the world speaking and stuff like that but so I, I can relate to the nine to five and I'm kind of living that nine to five with travel. Mm. Um, and so what does it look like for me? Well, you know, for, for me, it, it's just taking every opportunity to, to share Jesus, 
Um, and by the way, the best tool on that, that I found is a thing called Jesus at the Door. So mm. I totally recommend you look it up. I mean, I just got my phone out there. There's an app there, Jesus at the Door, and it takes you to there. And and I don't know if you see. Oh, that way. Yeah. Oh, uh, anyway, it's oh, it's not. I put it on airplane anyway. But anyway, it's uh, Jesus at the door, uh, and and it's a great way of sharing your faith. So I'd, I'd mm. recommend that to you. Um, for me, it's getting out of my comfort zones. It's getting along my street. There's 85 houses on my street. I love them. I don't know all of them, but I know by name 189 out of 230 of them. I pray wow. a blessing every day between six and seven outside all those houses. I'm just prayer walking. I'm like, this is the patch you give me. I'm passionate for your people. So far, I've seen mm. you know been here three and a half years now I've seen one person come to faith on the street it's like but I I, I talk of having goggles on there was a guy you know, 400 years ago called brother Lawrence who, who was basically just a, 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 a kitchen worker who washed pans but he wrote this book which is still being read it's the mm. only book outside the Bible I think I've read three times called the, practicing the presence of God yeah, and he was worshiping as he as he sort of washed the dishes and everything and basically he got to a stage where he was just living in the constant uh, presence of Jesus and so you wear glasses I don't wear literal glasses but but it's like having Jesus goggles on that's mm. how if you're nine to five so you're interacting with your colleagues and you're just seeing through them through Jesus eyes and that Jesus is love right so mm. you are just loving them even when they're unlovable and you are you're praying for people and you're 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 praising God for I can see I can smell I can touch I can feel you know I had death threats with this guy said he's gonna cut out my eyes and that wasn't a fun experience when he wrote me that letter and he came to my house with a grenade to blow me up it wasn't a fun experience <laughs> but no. but it was but it was one of the best experiences of my life because for the first time in my life I said thank you Lord that I can see mm. and I, I, I think in our entitlement culture we take such basics for granted Mm. So the biggest gift Burundi has given me is the gift of gratitude. So from here on end, you listener, you watcher, you could have, if you've got your Jesus goggles on, they're, then they're, they're, they're goggles of gratitude. Mm. And you know, grateful people are happy people. And mm. beyond that, they're joyous people because happiness is actually quite external and very yeah. circumstance dependent, whereas joy can be at a deeper level. So I have just gone through the worst two weeks of the last 20 years, as I'm talking to you right now. Wow. But I can still have a joy and a joy mm. can defy circumstances. So if you've got those Jesus goggles on, uh, and this is a long convoluted answer, but you're seeing everything through the lens of Jesus. And what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mm. faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. So you can have that peace that passes understanding, which I'm wrestling to have. Let's be honest. Mm. I'm wrestling with that right now. So it's not a constant living in this nirvana space of, you know, I've got no problems. No, there's a battle going on. I'm going through the thick of it right now. Uh, but, but Jesus goggles everything through his lens. And that, that's a game changer. So, you know, mm. you're doing the mundane. Some of you are enjoying your job in your nine to five. Some of you aren't. The reality is that sometimes we're stuck in, if I can say, crappy jobs and we just got to pay the bills. Mm. Other time you're in the sweet spot of passion, calling, gifting, opportunity. Uh, but it's like it's infused with a greater sense of meaning. If you get that, my precious colleague, I love them. They don't yet know mm. Jesus. I'm not saying I'm any better than them, but I'm better off because I know the Lord and Savior. I've got yeah. purpose. I've got meaning, I've got a mission, and I'm gonna get alongside them, not just so that I can convert them, but because I want them to experience what I've experienced. And so actually, what could be quite a mundane job is infused with a, a deeper level of meaning and purpose, and that is my mm. mission field. And he, God's given me gifts that no one else has got. Mm. And I'm completely different from everyone else, and he's got a purpose for me. So you feel a deeper sense of motivation, again, in your day-to-day. -day. Mm. Yeah. Well, I hope that's an encouragement. Yeah, I think it is. I, I love that because you're you're taking the nine to five and you're seeing that as your mission field, right? And that, and that, and where you are, that's your mission field, and you can uh, experience the 
awesomeness of God just right where you are, and you can you can really? bring that to other people, which is which is fantastic. Um, you said that you're, and obviously I'm not going to ask you details, but you, you said that you're going through the most difficult two weeks of the last twenty years. So this is again where the rubber hits the road, where it all becomes real. So what are what are some of the things that get you through those worst two weeks? How do you how do you sort of deal with it personally? You're you're, you're preaching all these things. You're telling everybody about you know this God, and you're talking about faith and and stories of salvation and, and healing and all this sort of great stuff. Yet every day you wake up and you're sort of, uh, for the last few weeks, you've, you've been in the middle of what you've been in. How do you how do you enthuse yourself? You know, that, that word, the God within. How do, you, how do you do that, Simon? Yeah, well, it's a, let's straight up confess that it's been a, a challenge to do that. I've certainly someone who's just not want to get out of bed and uh, said, oh no, I've got to face the realities of, you know, my, my beloved closest making spectacularly awful choices. Um, but, well, it's interesting, my great aunt who translated the Bible into Kurindi, she once wrote to me in Burundi before she died. It's a very pithy three-liner. She, she said, look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. But look to Jesus and be at rest. Mm. And you know, discipleship is it's not rocket science, but we need to do the basic things well. So look around, the world is very depressing, uh, distressing right now. Look within your own heart, with your own fickleness and issues and dysfunctions, you can be, be, get pretty depressed, but look to Jesus and be at rest. So it's keeping mm. our eyes fixed on Jesus. I was looking yesterday at um, Isaiah 26 verse three, you will keep in perfect peace those mm. whose mind steadfast because they trust in you. Yeah, you'll keep perfect peace. That's shalom, shalom. So trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord Himself, is the Rock Eternal. So mm. if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, as Hebrews twelve, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider He who endured such opposition from sinful men, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. The reality mm. is that we are going to grow weary and lose heart if we don't keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. When, mm. when, when Peter stepped out of the boat onto the water, as long as he had his eyes on Jesus, mm. he carried on. And as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, and it's, it's conjecture, isn't it? Either it's because he's like looking around saying, hey, look, I'm the man. And then mm. so pride can put yeah. him forward sunk or it's like this massive wave came and suddenly he lost sight of Jesus because the bigger waves that's mm. my reality the big waves coming I'm like oh I just trying to still keep keep mm. my eye on it. But, it, but if you keep I, I know that I'm gonna get through this I've been through um, plenty of challenges in Burundi in a sort of much more obviously dangerous and freakishly outlandish stuff and he's got me through those uh, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it mm. so it doesn't mean it's gonna be easy uh, I thought I'd die in an ambush. That's the most likely way I was going to die over the years. And in one of those ambushes, a guy was had his face shot up. I don't know what happened to him, but the other people were killed. But a bullet went through his face. And but he survived. But his face completely mangled. And mm. he was he was maybe fortunate to get sponsorship through an NGO, a non-governmental organisation, for multiple reconstructive uh, plastic surgery operations. So they you know did things over 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 years to rebuild mm. his face. Now even at the end of that, you still can't really talk. Mm. But he was given a piece of paper and a pen, and and his eyes sparkled. So you can do a lot of communicate through, communication <laughs> through, you, through your eyes. And he wrote, God never promised us an easy journey, just a safe arrival. And I think a lot of people right now would be going through a really difficult journey. 
And he didn't say it was going to be easy. In this mm. world, you will be trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Mm. He didn't say an easy journey, just a safe arrival. And you are going to get that. You just got to hang on in there. Yeah. You got to hold on in there. Keep your eye fixed on Jesus. You will get there. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Mm. Height, no depth, no anything else. I'm sort of trying to quote it. That's Romans 8 again. Um, yeah, the present, the future, powers, anything, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ mm. Jesus. Nah, super powerful, man. Super powerful. So you said that the the what the, one of the things that you came away from Burundi with was this gratitude. Simple things like thank you, God, I can see. You know, which you don't think about until someone threatens to remove your eyes. Um, and you contrast that with, um, and I, I I see it all the time. This this entitlement uh, that we in the West seem to be enjoying. Uh, I, I say that, you know, facetiously. Uh, but the, the sort of the entitlement in, that we seem to be having in the West right now. Um, expand on that a little bit, if you don't mind. How, how does gratitude stop you feeling uh, or stop you going down that entitlement path, do you think? Well, listen, we're, we're all wired to look after number one. That's not something you need to learn. And, and so we're all self-absorbed, self-consumed, selfish. Uh, and, and so when we don't get what we want, it's <laughs> an entitlement culture sense. It's an affront to my divine right to happiness, contentment, fulfillment, whatever. The life skill I, I often talk about, and I wrote a book on um, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where it says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as mm. a living sacrifice. So because of what God's done for you. And the Greek word there for mercy is plurals mercies. So, so, so when I'm tempted to self-pity, as we all are, the life skill is I go through the mercies of God in my life. I can see, which is amazing. Mm. Now that I thought I, I might have been blinded at the very, I'm still alive. The guy mm. said he was going to kill me and brought that grenade to blow me up. Um, I've got 10 of those things in my house that I turn and clean life-giving water comes up. Mm. And I don't have to carry a jerry can on my head five miles each way each day. The, the, the group that we brought the gospel to, um, 27 was the average life expectancy before we engaged them, mainly because of the unclean water. Mm. Um, I've, I've got clothes and loads of clothes, as I think of uh, a girl in one of our orphanages. She arrived there. She'd never taken the clothes off her back. Um, my 18-year-old brother's, my pastor's 18-year-old brother died in his arms for the lack of three pounds for the medicine across the counter, which I've had that disease umpteen times and maybe a dysentery, three pounds for life. So mm. you go home and die, you know, you can look across the the counter and the pharmacy, you haven't got three quid, go home and die. Three quids for a life, that is wrong. So all these things we take for granted. And, you know, on that mm. level, we got health service and we moan about the National Health Service. Mm. So next time you're moaning about the National Health Service, I want you to picture me standing next to you and punching you in the face. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, be grateful, be grateful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we got freedom in, in this nation to share yeah. our faith. 350 million Christians in the world live, live yeah. under oppressive regimes, be it Iran, Yemen, Eritrea, the list goes on, about 40 to 50, well, 50 plus countries, at decent levels of persecution. Yeah, I had, a, I had a friend who was uh, working in, in, in China, and he came back, and, and he, we, he'd been back in England four days, and, and as, as we were walking, processing what he'd been up to, his name was also Simon, he said to me, it's almost like a confessional, though he didn't need to, he said, Simon, every day in China I do something to get myself arrested, i.e., tell people about jesus he says i've been back four days and i haven't done anything arrestable and you know his point was that where, they, where he was on a mission he already felt it you know he's living with a mm. sense of urgency mm. and uh, then we he came back here and i was like give yourself a break you just you know you just need to rest but the point is have you 
watch or listen. Have you done anything arrestable in the last mm. month? And I mean that in the sense of sharing our faith. Mm. So we've got all these incredible gifts. Uh, you know, you can read and write, I presume. As one girl, she stood up in one of our camps. She was 15. She'd, you know, she slept with a priest to get three quid to pay her school fees. And I don't judge her at all because otherwise she'd be illiterate in first grade. You know, they just mm. face different challenges, temptations and, and issues out there. So all those things, all those things that you could take for granted, no, they're gifts. And, and that's a game changer to see them as a gift because then you can be grateful despite your circumstances. Yeah. So that this old man, so my friend who saw this old man in a refugee camp, she went over and sat next to him. She said, what's your story, old man? And he was just there with an empty bowl praying. So he told her how he was in his 80s and he'd seen his wife and kids hacked to death the previous week. And he'd walked six days to get that refugee camp. And he'd, his house had been burned down. He had lost everything in the world. And again, this horrific story of woe, he turned to her and he said, Madame Missionnaire, I never realized that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. Mm. I never realized that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. To me, that's about the most powerful thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And I come back from Burundi and I land here and I come up with a bunch of people. We've got everything to live with and nothing to live for. Mm. And that's the danger, isn't it? If you don't yet know Jesus, you might have loads of stuff, but you, you've got nothing to live for. You're, well, hopefully that's why you're watching this right now. You're seeking purpose and Jesus is the answer. And he's saying, mm. come to me, open the door of your heart. I will come in and share your life. And I'm not, he's not saying it's going to be easy. It's not a soft sell, but he'd be with you in your depression or in your loneliness or in your financial insecurity or in your health issues or in the relational breakdown, whatever you, whatever it is, he'll be mm. with you in it. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am for you. I love you. Let's do this together. That's, that's the offer. That's amazing. That's amazing. Everything to live with, but nothing to live for. And that, that, that actually sums up the West quite well, I think, in a, in a lot of ways. And um, man, super powerful stuff, right? So, Simon, if you could go back in time and have a conversation with yourself uh, in the late 90s, just before you set off, um, what would be the advice you'd give yourself? Hmm. Well, do you know what? Praise God. You know, I, I can say that um, I, I'm, I, I'm, I look back and I can just see God's grace in that because I have made mistakes. You know, I could have um, I could have married the wrong girl because of getting her pregnant. Mm. Um, and thankfully, she wasn't pregnant when she did that test. That would have been a game changer. There's all sorts of things that could have happened. I could have got expelled for drugs. I could have. There's 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 points along the line. Drink driving. I could have, I could have been completely taken out there. And by God's grace. Um, that those those disasters didn't happen. But what did I say to my younger self? I just I'd just say who was pretty pretty full on already for Jesus. But I'd say just mm. uh, be more fun, be be totally sold up, be surrendered. I mean, I, I'd, I'd live so that you have no regrets. Just mm. just prioritize. You know, there's 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 such such potential in a surrendered life, and don't get distracted. So you know, I got married when I was thirty. I spent a lot of years getting distracted, uh, you know, as a walking hormone. And mm. just like, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. He will provide in his time. And in his time, he did. He provided mm. when I was I remember going on some conferences and just leaving at the end thinking, I wasted that whole thing because I was just sharking. You know, <laughs> didn't hear a word of what was going on. So I'm just being real with you because, you know, yeah, the, yeah. Thing, the danger is we put people on pedestals and think, they're, mm. you know, mm. I know the fickleness of my own heart. But I'd look back and say, dude, this is worth everything. 
mm. and don't compromise, don't settle for yet less than the best, and be hardcore d- d- disciplined. Uh, you know, like, I mean, there's lots of soldier analogies in the Bible, and that's for a reason, it's because there's a war going on. And, you know, those aren't popular these days because we've we, we, we sort of got, that, got such a sort of lame, lightweight sort of modeling of faith. Mm. But, you know, it's, it, this is hardcore stuff. There's, the stakes are really high. So don't get, you know, don't look to the left or the right. Focus, and he is worth everything. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, so, I imagine, I, I, this is a question I do like to ask people, right, Simon? Imagine, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of more towards the end of your life, whenever that is and in whatever circumstance that is. But... Um, you're given, I don't know, at the Oscars, some kind of lifetime achievement award or whatever, and you get stand up at the end of it and you say, you know what, I just want to say thank you to the following people who have had a massive impact on me and my life. I'm kind of curious, who would you thank? Uh, who, who, are the, who, who are the people on your list? Uh, well, straight up, it would be my mum, biggest influence mm. in my life. Uh, small lady, small in stature, huge in influence. Uh, so godly, so humble, so gracious, so patient. And you can imagine eating all those in abundance with me. <laughs> wayward teenager. Um, and so that'd be my mum my first, the biggest influence. Then uh, that guy, Robert DeBerry, who, who was the Lord's instrument coming to me, having heard from God. And that's mm-hmm. why I ended up. Um, it'd be my father. My father came to, to faith or back to faith in his 40s and then became a, uh, a, a real sort of support supporter and been very involved in the work with me very wise and uh, he's growing massively in his faith mm. latterly which is really exciting um it would be anesiphor in burundi who i handed the ministry on to and this for the most amazing man i've ever met with an incredible story i haven't got time to tell now uh there'd be uh, freddy puyizere uh, so a decent proportion of just these great Burundian now Jean Bosco Motebusi who's taken over the ministry now it's like these these guys these are you know when you've lived through heavy stuff when you thought mm. you're going to die you are seriously tight and so mm. uh, those, are, those are a few names for you yeah brilliant I imagine actually like you say you, you do become tight you, there's the brotherhood aspect of it isn't it soldiers experience this as well don't they in, in war and conflict that creation of the brotherhood uh, and it's um, it's quite fascinating, but I love one of the things I think people might find surprising, and one of the things I love about your story is that out of all of this, you talk about gratitude, uh, and a lot of people look at pain or suffering and go, well, therefore God's not real, um, because you know that doesn't make sense. But what actually what you're telling is this story is not only yours, it's stories, but um, but stories from people in Burundi who have nothing. Everything has been taken away, yet their faith is so much stronger and their gratitude is so much higher. And I think that's amazing. Um, and uh, I, I think that's phenomenal. So brilliant. Simon, thank you so much for coming on to the show, man. How do people um, reach you? How do they get hold of you? How do they find out more about Great Lakes Outreach? What's the best way to do that? Well, I can see you put it on the screen there, greatlakesoutreach.org. That's the organization. If you want to be in touch with me, simon at greatlakesoutreach.org. Or you can see my surname there, simongilbo.com. Uh, love you to sign up for that inspired podcast. They are absolutely brilliant. And I can say that because mm. I, I just sit back and let them tell the stories. And they're, they're absolutely beautiful. And, uh, yeah, God bless you guys. Keep up the great work with your, your stuff, man. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, sir. And of course, if you would like to get a hold of Simon's devotional book, you can. I have a copy of it here. Choose Life 365, Reading for Radical Disciples. 
<laughs> uh, yours was bigger than mine on screen. I just, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. Uh, but do check it out. Amazing, uh, amazing uh, book here, an amazing devotional. So um, if you would like a devotional, this is it. And if, if you're watching this uh, and you need a, a stocking filler or a gift for somebody, now you know, now you know. Uh, Simon, honestly, genuinely loved the conversation. It was interesting when you said on the podcast, do check it out because you just get to sit back and listen to people tell great stories. So all I do on this, uh, and you just uh, all I have to do is ask a question every now and again and let people loose. And it's uh, it's been an absolute joy uh, and an absolute privilege, man. Thank you so much uh, for being with us, uh, and uh, all the best with the uh, with the with the ministry and you know even the stuff that you're facing through at the moment. I look forward to seeing how God redeems that. Um, uh, and you know, always intrigued by that phrase, "God restores the years the locusts have eaten." So. Uh, looking forward to hearing that story. So thanks for being with us, man. Thanks for having me. Out. So there you have it. A great conversation. Huge thanks again to Simon for joining me today. Remember to check out Crowd Online Church at www.crowd.church. Even if you might not see the point of church, we are an online church on a quest to discover how Jesus helps us live a more meaningful life, this life that Simon has been talking about. We are a community, a space to explore the Christian faith and a place where you can contribute and grow. And you are welcome at Crowd Church. Be sure to subscribe to What's the Story wherever you get your podcasts from uh, because we've got some great stories lined up and I don't want you to miss any of them. And in case no one has told you yet today, you are awesome. Yes, you are. It's just a burden that you have to bear. I have to bear it. Simon has to bear it. We just have to bear that burden. Now, What's the Story is produced by Crowd Online Church. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, Josh Catchpole, Estella Robin, and Tim Johnson. Our theme song was written by Josh Edmondson. And if you would like to read the transcript or show notes, head on over to the website, www.crowd.church, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter and get all of this good stuff direct to your inbox. So that's it from me. That's it from Simon. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a fantastic week wherever you are. I'll be back next time. Bye for now.